Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Paul, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 1 to 11 of the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, the passage read before. I encourage you to open your Bibles and follow with me as we look at this passage more deeply. But before we begin, I'll ask, I'll pray for God's blessing on our time together this morning. Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. Please guide us and give us an understanding and keep us attentive as we meditate on this passage this morning. Please be with me as I speak. Help me to faithfully proclaim your truth. Lord, I acknowledge that I need to hear this truth as much as all who are listening. Please humble us all and give us wisdom to understand and apply what we learn. O Lord, please soften our hearts and fill us with a greater measure of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you were to ask your neighbours or work colleagues the question, who is Jesus, what answers would you expect to get? Just think about this for a moment. Even if you haven't previously talked about Jesus to these people, you can probably tell something of what they believe about Jesus just by the way they live and act. A person's understanding of who Jesus is will influence how they respond to him. It affects all our words and actions. The truth, this truth is played out in this passage um, from Luke chapter 5 with Jesus revealing his true identity to Simon the fisherman. Before we begin to look at this passage, let us briefly consider what is covered in the previous chapters to give us the context and background for this account. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, compiled and wrote these accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus to reveal to us who Jesus is. Starting in chapter 1 of Luke, we have the angel Gabriel revealing to Mary that Jesus is the Son of God. After Jesus' birth, the angels revealed to the shepherds that Jesus is a Saviour, Christ the Lord. Simeon, in his blessing, foretold that Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. In Jesus' baptism, we see God the Father speaking from heaven, calling Jesus his beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. Through Jesus' genealogy, we are shown Jesus' human lineage, fulfilling the prophecies and showing Jesus' humanity as a descendant of Adam. Through Jesus' Um, temptation in the wilderness, we see Jesus upholding the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, firmly standing against the temptations of the devil. We see Jesus begin his ministry in the power of the Spirit, boldly opening the Scriptures, speaking with authority, and proclaiming that the Scriptures are fulfilled in him. Jesus confirmed his divinity and authority to teach by healing many people of their sicknesses and casting out demons who also acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, the Holy One of God. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching and large crowds followed him as he went about preaching the good news of the Kingdom of God and confirming his authority by these many miracles. It is in this context, while Jesus is preaching in the area of Galilee, that the events of this passage take place. In verse 1 of this passage, we have the words, on one occasion, which would have been shortly after 
the healing of Simon's mother-in-law at the end of chapter 4. And most likely near Capernaum, which is near the shore of Lake Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Another thing that we should know is that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. The two names refer to the same person. Up until chapter 5, he is called Simon, but in verse 8 of chapter 5, Luke refers to him as Simon Peter. After this passage, Luke mainly refers to him as Peter. This passage begins by telling us that the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. Jesus was speaking God's word. He wasn't just bringing a new idea or a new interpretation of the scriptures, but he was the God-man and was speaking the very words of God. At the beginning of this, his gospel account, the apostle John refers to Jesus as the word and said, the word was with God and the word was God. Now these people had been eagerly awaiting the coming of the Messiah and they realised there was nothing else that was more important than to listen to the words of God. Some of the people believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Others were still trying to decide who Jesus was. Simon and his companions were also eager to hear Jesus and may well have chosen to clean their fishing nets in this place where Jesus had been teaching so that they could hear what he said while they worked. We see in verse 3 that Jesus got into Simon's boat and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting in a boat allowed Jesus some space from the crowd, but the surroundings would have also served as a natural amphitheatre from which the large crowd could better hear Jesus teach the word of God. These people were pressing in on Jesus. They were desperate to hear God's word. It is fitting to ask ourselves, do we have this same earnest desire to hear God's word? We have God's word, the Bible, translated into our own, our own language, written on paper and ink. We have the Bible available in electronic format, in various translations, on our computers and our phones. We have audio Bibles that we can listen to without even, even having to read it ourselves. We say that the Bible is the ultimate authority and inerrant in all that it teaches and that it is sufficient containing all that we need to know about God and his plan of salvation. Yet with all our access and a right understanding of God's word, we still so often fail to treasure it as we ought. We may develop consistent Bible reading plans, but how frequently do we find that our minds are quick to wander and we are so easily distracted? We must continue to cry out to God for strength and pray that he would restore to us a greater hunger and joy in hearing the word of God. After Jesus had finished teaching the people, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now Simon was a fisherman by trade. He'd probably grown up in a family fishing business and he knew all about fishing. He knew the best places to find fish and he knew that the best time to fish was at night. Now Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, was telling Simon how to do his job. On top of this was the fact that the fishermen had just washed their nets after fishing all night and catching nothing. Simon and his companions would have been tired and physically exhausted from working hard all night. 
all Simon's fishing experience. along with his physical exhaustion, would have made Jesus' request seem extremely ridiculous. There was no good reason to obey other than the fact that it was Jesus who asked. And Simon humbly but reluctantly answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When Simon and his crew had gone to the deeper water and let down the nets, they enclosed a large number of fish. Luke gives us a few indications of just how enormous this catch of fish was. It wasn't just a little bit larger than average. Firstly, these fishing nets were designed to handle any amount of fish that they expected could be caught. But Luke tells us that the nets began to tear with the extraordinary weight of these fish. Luke also tells us that Simon and his crew had to call the other boat with their colleagues James and John to help pull in the fish. These fishing boats were not just like a small tinny, but they were large enough to fit Jesus and his disciples, as we are told in Luke chapter 8. It would take an enormous amount of fish to be almost sinking two boats like this. This was a catch far beyond anything that they even imagined was possible. Now Jesus didn't just perform this miracle to bless Simon's fishing business, but rather this catch of fish revealed Jesus' omniscience, having all knowledge. Jesus knew exactly where the fish were and how they were to be caught. Simon and his companions, despite all their knowledge and expertise at fishing, had been unable to catch anything that night. Whenever they did catch fish, they always relied on their experience to determine where might have the best result, and they could never know for sure where the fish were. These men knew that God knows all things. Omniscience is one of the defining attributes of God. This miracle was proof that Jesus had divine knowledge. Jesus knows all things, things that no one else could know, even about every creature of the sea. This catch of fish also revealed another of Jesus' divine qualities, his omnipotence, having power over all things. He not only knew where the fish were, but had complete control over them. He had them go to the right place at the right time and swim into the net. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had demonstrated his omnipotence, and Simon probably had already seen some of Jesus' miracles. Jesus had been healing the sick and casting out demons, In the course of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus also raised the dead, healed the blind, the mute, the paralyzed and the lepers. Jesus turned water into wine, he calmed a storm and on several occasions he fed multitudes of people with just a small amount of food. All these things require divine power. No one but God can do this type of thing. Simon knew all about fishing this catch of fish was a supernatural event. Simon was in absolute awe of what Jesus had done. He didn't just ponder the greatness of the miracle. He realised that to do this required divine knowledge and divine power. Simon's immediate response was, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This response shows us that Simon now recognised something 
that he hadn't recognised about Jesus on his other encounters with him. We are told about Simon's first introduction to Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 40 to 41, when Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, heard John the Baptist speak about Jesus. Andrew followed Jesus and then also brought Simon to Jesus, telling him, we have found the Messiah. Simon had also heard Jesus preach and probably had seen him perform other miracles, such as the healing of his mother-in-law, as recorded in chapter 4. Up to this point in time, Simon was following Jesus when he could, but at the same time still trying to run his fishing business. This event was a major turning point in Simon's life and brought him to a right understanding of who Jesus really is. The Almighty God, the creator of the universe. He knows all things, he is sovereign, having complete power and authority over all things. He is righteous, just and holy, set apart from his creation. Being the holy God, Jesus is completely sinless, but not only sinless, he has perfect hatred of sin and is also the only one who can and will bring righteous judgment on all sin and evil. There are many examples in scripture of people encountering God and having a glimpse of his holiness and responding with great fear. For example, in Exodus chapter 20, when God is speaking the law to the Israelites, they were afraid and trembled and stood far off. They told Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have the account of Isaiah's temple vision when he is in the presence of the Lord. And he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Luke also records the account of Jesus coming the storm and the sea in chapter 8. In the parallel passage in Mark, it says that when Jesus had stilled the storm, just by speaking to it, the disciples were filled with great fear. It was more scary to be in a boat with God than to have the storm outside. The more we understand God's holiness, the more we will come to understand our own sinfulness and our unworthiness to be in his presence. It was this truth that played out in Simon's mind as he pondered the reality of who Jesus is. Simon was convicted that he, a sinful man, was standing in the presence of God in human flesh. It was this realisation that caused Simon to fall down at his, on his feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This event changed Simon's understanding of Jesus and the way he related to Jesus. In verse 5, Simon referred to Jesus as master, meaning chief or commander. But now in verse 8, he calls Jesus Lord, which is a title frequently used in scripture to describe God. Simon not only referred to Jesus as Lord, but fell down at Jesus' feet, a posture of worship, knowing that God alone was to be worshipped. Simon has just seen the biggest financial boost to his fishing business. He could have started thinking about himself, that he was a pretty decent person, and must have done enough good things to deserve this blessing. There might have even been the temptation to think, thank Jesus for this catch of fish, and invite him to be partner 
with his fishing business. Just imagine how big this could be. They could buy more boats, they could employ more fishermen, and with Jesus on their team as expert fish finder, they could just rake in the money. Now this would be a very shallow and a worldly response and not something resulting from an encounter with the almighty God. All that Simon can say is, get away from me, Jesus. I am too sinful to be in your presence. He was acknowledging his own unworthiness as a sinful man to be in the presence of the holy God. Simon had come to realise that he had nothing in common with Jesus. They should not even be in each other's presence. Jesus' answer to Simon's response of contrition and humility indicates that this is exactly what Jesus desired. When a sinner realises their utter depravity and humbles himself, realising that they are deserving of the wrath of God, with nothing that they can do to escape, this is when God delights to show his mercy. In Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 it is written, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Also in chapter 6 of Isaiah in verse 2, All things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Jesus' comforting reply to Simon was simply, Do not be afraid. By telling Simon not to be afraid, Jesus revealed to Simon his divine mercy. Jesus being God is the only one who can forgive sins and declare to a sinner that they have no need to be afraid of being in the presence of the Holy God. Although Simon did not yet understand, Jesus had come into the world and had taken on human flesh as the God-man for the very purpose of reconciling sinners to himself. Jesus was the sacrifice, shedding his blood, giving his life, and bearing the wrath of God in the place of sinners. This was the greatest act of love to ever be demonstrated, that God came to set his people free from the penalty of sin. Although Simon was yet to learn these truths, he simply trusted Jesus, the source of all truth. After telling Simon not to be afraid, Jesus continued, From now on you will be catching men. This wasn't so much a command of Jesus, but rather a statement of their new identity. Simon and his fishing partners, James and John, now knew who Jesus is. They brought their boats to the shore and gladly left everything to follow Jesus. They were now followers of Jesus, which is a description of a disciple. They would continue to follow Jesus, learning and being trained for this great calling as fishers of men. No longer would their identity be in catching fish for death, but rather they would be catching men for life. Through proclaiming the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
They would be used by God to bring sinners out of death to life in Christ. There is no greater calling. Peter, James and John left everything to follow Christ. In light of what we have discussed in this passage regarding who Jesus is, we must be honest in examining ourselves regarding our response to Jesus. The scriptures encourage us to examine ourselves and maybe the following questions may help us with this. Do you truly believe that Jesus is the the almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you honour Jesus as Lord of your life, recognising his worth above all? Have you been brought to recognition of your sinfulness and responded with repentance, trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you have an earnest desire to submit all things to Christ, to grow in holiness, to have a willingness to give up and leave behind all worldly things and passions to follow Christ? In asking these questions, I'm not implying that Christians live out all these things perfectly. But as we go through our lives, in our struggle against sin, in our ongoing repentance, we trust God for his mercy and his grace. If you haven't yet responded, repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus as your saviour, I urge you, do not delay. Today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, God the Father demonstrated both his divine justice in punishing sin and also his divine mercy in making complete atonement for the sins of his people. Through Jesus' resurrection, he declared victory over sin and death. All who repent and have faith in Jesus as their saviour no longer have reason to fear, but instead we have every reason for great joy. We have been brought out of death to life with Christ as followers of Jesus and also have the great calling to be catching men for life, to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling all people to repentance and faith in Jesus. Now we may not all be called to leave our occupations to go and serve Jesus, but if you are a Christian, you are a disciple or follower of Jesus. As a disciple, you are also called to be his disciple makers. Wherever God has placed us, in our families, our neighbourhoods, our workplaces, wherever we are, we are called to be proclaiming Christ as Lord of all. Remember, you are not your own. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You are called to proclaim the message of, of the gospel in every situation to which God gives you opportunity. Living out our calling will not be easy. There are bound to be trials. We may be mocked, slandered, even imprisoned, tortured or killed for serving our Lord. But we can always rejoice in Jesus' promise that he will always be with his people. Living out our calling as disciples or followers of Jesus is something that we do not merely do as a duty but rather it is a privilege to serve our King and to live our lives for his glory. This is our purpose and our identity. No other pursuit in life will truly bring fulfilment. 
In Luke chapter 10, Jesus appointed and sent out 72 other disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. In this account, Jesus, speaking of this mission, said to these disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Pray therefore earnestly that the Lord of harvest may send out labourers into his harvest. It is encouraging to, to know that both the harvest field and the harvest are the Lord's. We are only the labourers, the means through which God has chosen to work his will. The one who calls us to make disciples is the same one who told Simon to let down the nets. The results are not our responsibility, but God's. He is sovereign, and we can be sure that he will achieve his intended purpose in all that he calls us to do. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and called us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of your holiness, your mercy and your grace. Please be with us as we go through our life as pilgrims in this world. Awake us from our sleep and set us free from the entanglements of this world. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ as we carry out the task of proclaiming your gospel throughout the world. Please continue to be with us and sustain us as we press on toward the prize which you have purchased for us. Through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To you alone belong all glory and honour and praise forever and ever. Amen.